Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Well, uh, it is so good to be here together, and um, we have a number of visitors here this morning, so we're so glad that you chose to, to spend this time on Mother's Day morning uh, with us. We've been in a, a, a series uh, the last three months uh, looking at this theme from Scripture called Kingdom Come. And really this idea is taken from a couple of places, uh, directly from Jesus' prayer in Matthew 6, often known as the Lord's Prayer, where he tells his followers to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's where we've gotten the, the, the title of this series. Um, but it's more than just a prayer that Jesus said to pray. It was the central theme of his ministry. Jesus, wherever he went, he said to uh, repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. And so this is the central theme of his ministry. And it's what we've been talking about for over three months now as we've looked at Jesus' teachings, uh, starting with some parables that he gave explaining what the kingdom of God is like, uh, and then how those teachings affected his followers. And for 2,000 plus years, every follower of Jesus has had to wrestle with the reality, the tension that while they belong to Jesus, they still live in this world. And this world still has many challenges and many things in this world are against the followings of Jesus. And so how do we as followers of Jesus navigate the culture that we live in with an eye towards the kingdom of God that is not yet fully realized, but is in process in us as his believers. As we've been exploring this theme, uh, I've, I've found myself trying to, to think of some sort of more modern or culturally relevant word to use other than kingdom. Because maybe that just doesn't resonate with me personally, and, and many of you probably doesn't as well. And, and so I was thinking, you know, could we have called it God's democracy? But, you know, that doesn't work. Because God's not an elected official, Right. Uh, I was thinking, you know, God's, God's nation, uh, that doesn't work either because the kingdom of God's not defined by borders. I'm a sports fan, so I thought, God's football team? No, that doesn't work either. Sometimes there's just no cultural equivalent to what we read in Scripture uh, other than what it is, a kingdom, with God as the king and us as his citizens, as participants in the kingdom. And so that's Okay. So as we've looked at this, and many of you are coming at the very end of this, this series, well, we've asked ourselves, what is God's kingdom, and how does it affect the way that we live today? And so we've talked about some pretty specific things, our sexuality, our work, our marital status, married and single, our politics, our ideas of justice. And so in the end, what are we trying to come away with? An understanding of the kingdom of God and our place in it. One phrase I think kind of captures this question of what is God's kingdom is the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. And this is actually a theme of the Bible, uh, of the history of humanity. We see at the very beginning, we've looked at this over and over again in the series, in Genesis, God's people were in God's place, the garden, under God's rule. And this was the original vision of God's relationship with us. 
But then we know what happens is there's this sinful struggle where humanity says, well, we don't know if we want to be under your rule. And so they rejected God, and then eventually they were not in God's place either. But God never gives up on his people. And we see this, this, this story of this narrative throughout Scripture, and I think it's one that even connects with Mother's Day today. No matter how rebellious your children get, you still love them. You still pursue them. And God is the same way. We see in God really a mothering heart in Scripture. And so while humanity rejected God's rule, God never rejects them. And so we see throughout Scripture God's promises these promises, they're like messages to lost people that, that are on a journey, that are just fumbling their way through the wilderness, looking for hope, looking for purpose. And throughout time and history, God continues to pursue them and give them messages of hope, give them promises that there is something better, that there is a grace and a reunion with him possible. And so as the biblical story unfolds, these promises of God, we call them prophecies, they eventually lead not to a place or even to a garden, but to a person, to Jesus. And Jesus comes and he says this, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this has been our theme. Now, when you hear the word repent, especially if you're maybe not so much a church person, but even if you are, you often think of judgment and condemnation, maybe the guy standing on the street corner with the sign. But this idea of repent is, is to have a change of mind, to see things differently. So what Jesus is calling us to in repentance is to see our lives and our place in history and this world differently than we previously had. What he's calling us into is relationship with him. And so repentance literally means a, like a turning away from the way we were living to now this living with God. And this picture of the kingdom of God uh, has always been a bit surprising for folks. Luke's gospel records this interaction that Jesus had with some religious leaders. And it says in Luke 17, once on being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. What did Jesus mean when he said this? <laughs> These religious leaders who had read the promises, they knew the prophecies, they were trying to be good Jews. What did Jesus mean when he said this to them? What he meant was that the kingdom was right there within reach. Because the kingdom of God is revealed in him. The person of Jesus, God himself, come near. But here these religious leaders were, they were staring right at him and they couldn't see it. So many uh, stories of people coming to faith were this aha moment. Hey, yeah, I, I'd heard the songs. My, my parents dragged me to church. I, I knew the Bible stories. But then one day, something changed. Oh, Jesus, now I get it. Uh, there's this famous uh, skateboarder named Tony Hawk. Does anybody know who Tony Hawk is? A handful of you. Uh, he, on his Twitter feed, records these interactions he has with people. The most famous skater ever. Uh, and video games after him and all sorts of things. Olympian and all that. And he, he records these interactions that he has with people on, on Twitter where, where they'll meet him and they'll say, you look like somebody. 
And he'll, he'll say, yeah, who, who do I look like? They're like, you, you look like Tony Hawk. And he goes, yeah, I've heard that before. You know? uh, or in one interaction he had at TSA, they said, Tony Hawk, like the skater? He goes, yeah, just like him. And how true this is, right, for so many people, that they're looking for an answer. They're looking for a fulfillment in life. And they can stare it right in the face and still completely miss it. And how true this is for so many people in the world today. Every morning, people look at themselves in the mirror, and they miss the image of God that is implanted in them. Maybe you, at a very early age, were one of those kids that thought about your existence. And what was really stirring inside of you was this God-implanted reality that you are made differently than all of creation. You're made in the image of God. And every morning people look at that and they, somehow they miss it. Every day people experience in the natural world the beauty around them, the, the mystery, and they miss in that the fingerprints of God in his creation. And so meanwhile, they search. Maybe they're not searching for the kingdom of God like the Pharisees, but everyone is looking for some sort of kingdom, a place of fulfillment, a place of peace, of joy, of security. We all want that. It's, it's a desire that's innate to all of us. And there's a lot of things we're searching for and hoping for in this life that in the end will just never meet those expectations and those deep longings. And the reality is, is this is because we are more than physical beings. As we are made in the image of God, we are unlike anything else and we are also spiritual beings. Author C.S. Lewis says this, if I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This speaks to the spiritual reality of who we are. And so as we have thought about this through the lens of the kingdom of God, we know and we feel this tension on a daily basis. Man, it's easy to be a Christian on Sunday morning, but it's really hard to be a Christian at my work, my school. It's easy to say words of affirmation and, and grace and all those things here. But boy, when my fingers are hovering over my Facebook feed, it's really hard to, to stop myself. We feel this tension. And so I think this resonates with so many of us. I was thinking about it this week. Oftentimes, life can feel like a video game. No, bear with me for a second here. For those of you who don't play video games. When you play a video game, there is always another level. You're trying to get to that next level. And then you get there, and what, what next? Well, you're not fulfilled. You have another level to go. And I remember as a kid investing hours and hours and hours in video games. And then finally, when you beat the game, whether it's you accomplish the mission or you beat the boss level or whatever it would be, you finish the game, and then what? Nobody runs out with a trophy. Nobody says, well done. There's no abiding sense of peace. Maybe, maybe in a sense of, of, of accomplishment. I remember when I beat Super Mario Brothers. It was pretty awesome. But if we view life like a video game, then we're never content with where we are, always thinking there's another level up. There's another place I need to go. Well, I, I, I'm single. I, I wish I was married. Oh, I'm married. I wish I had a kid. Oh, I have kids. I wish I had. I wish I didn't have kids. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is so many of our personal journeys, and we see how this thinking plays out 
in our society. And we also see how it plays out in generations as well. When you get to where you thought you wanted to be and it doesn't fulfill you, what next? What do you turn to? I mean, zoom out with me for just a second. On the last 100 years of our culture, 100 years ago, none of you were alive, that's okay, but 100 years ago, the United States was getting ready to enter into what's called the Great Depression, where stock markets crashed and so many people lost everything they had. That Great Depression revealed for folks in that generation that nothing was certain, that they had to build and hold on to everything that they had. So then the next generation comes along, and we have after the Great Depression, we have the Great Rebuild, World War II. And so that generation... They pull themselves up by their bootstraps, right? And they make something special out of that. And you would think, okay, that's it. That's the level that culture needs. But that wasn't enough either because the the kids of the great rebuild, the builders, they, they looked around in the 60s and 70s and they said, you know what? The American dream is fake. Uh, like work and, and, and you work for a house and then that's it? Like what is this all about? And so stability wasn't enough for them. So there was this counterculture movement. This was my dad's generation, the hippies. And so these young white folks especially pushed back against the American dream, while at the same time, in another aspect of our society, we had people that were struggling just to be included in it. And so we had the civil rights movement. Then after the, this great rebellion, as this generation said, you know, hey, marit- marital fidelity is not important, sexual purity is not important, none of the American dream that our parents, the builders, made is important. We're just going to throw it off and, and just live how we feel like living. Well, what's the result of the, the next generation? I'd say in my generation, there's been a great brokenness. The experiment of rebellion from our parents didn't work. It didn't create any more fulfillment than they thought they would find. And now in this current generation, generation a little bit younger than me, we have a great depression and anxiety. Not since the Great Depression has there been levels of anxiety and, and, and uh, mental health as there has been today. And we consider ourselves to be in the age of progress. But progress towards what? To what end? We are more physically connected and scientifically aware than we've ever been. And we are completely spiritually lost. This generation is so confused about their identity that they're trying to make the very concept of identity fluid and uncertain. As if keeping both feet in the air will do anything but breed more depression and anxiety. But the kingdom of God is still here, and it's still present. And just like in every generation, the kingdom of God is offering something that no cultural movement or human progress can offer. And what we find in Jesus is the fulfillment of the ancient kingdom promises of God that reorient our life. Repent, remember that? Reorient our life to the spiritual truth that our hearts are hunger for. If you've ever read John's gospel, you see Jesus interacting with people and he's saying, you are spiritually empty. If you want to be filled, I am the bread of life. This is what repentance does. Repentance transforms our thinking and allows us to see 
Jesus as the way into the kingdom and as the spiritual answer that reconnects us to the source of our lives. And so once we do this, once we allow Jesus to rule and reign, we experience freedom and fulfillment. The wonderful and beautiful things of this life are now seen through a spiritual lens. And this can mean two things for us. One is it can mean that we understand that all of life is a gift. And number two, we know that Jesus is the answer. Life is a gift. So when we think about our marital status, we talked about this some weeks ago. Are you single right now? That is an avenue, a gift that God has given you to make him known, to walk out your kingdom calling. Are you married? The same thing. Caleb talked about work, the way that we view our work. It is a gift if seen in the, through a kingdom lens. Our bank account, how much money do we have or do we not have? And I'm going to tell you, I've been in both situations. I had a, a time in my life where I had 54 cents in my bank account. I remember sticking my ATM slip on the bulletin board thinking, it can't get any worse than this. But you know what? Even in that time, I felt like the Lord showed me things and allowed me to, to be a part of his kingdom. It wasn't. My financial success wasn't based on the gifts that God had given me. And these things that we have, whether it's our work, our marital status, whatever it would be, they are not to be separate from our spiritual life. And we do this in our culture. I think Christians even do this more than any other, is we segment things. Well, this is spiritual Sunday morning. This is spiritual when I read the Bible. This is spiritual when I pray. But my politics... My work, man, that, those, that's separate. Uh, I, I, look th- I look at those things through a different lens. And that's just not the way of the kingdom. And this is how we've been pressing each other in recent weeks. So these things in life, they're a gift. But they are not the answer. This is what our culture would lead us to believe. That the things that you don't have yet, that's going to be the answer to your fulfillment. But they are not. Jesus is the answer. It's in Jesus that we see and know the truth about God and about ourselves. That God is real, that he is personal, and he sees and he cares about you. God loves you. It's why you're breathing right now. He loves you. And it's his deep love for all creation that motivated him to take on the form of humanity to rescue and redeem Humanity. And I hope you've seen that love on display as we've talked about the kingdom these past weeks. That you know that Jesus deeply cares about your sexuality. That he deeply cares about your marital status and your work and issues of justice in the culture. The ages and stages of our life are a gift. And Jesus is the answer. But don't flip those. Don't think that the ages and stages of your life are the answer and that Jesus is just a gift on the side. When we do that, we fall back into that segmentation. And we effectively say, Jesus, you can have these things, but I got these things. Life is a gift, and wherever stage you are in right now can be the avenue that God wants to use to grow you and to make his kingdom known. But these ages and stages, these things are not the answer. Only Jesus can truly fulfill our spiritual needs. 
So the big question we've been asking in this whole series is, what happens when Jesus rules and reigns? This is different than the question we asked a lot in my high school days, what would Jesus do? Which is not a terrible question to ask, really. But this question encompasses far more. It's not just situational, it's whole life. What happens when Jesus rules and reigns over my life? What happens when we stop segmenting our life into spiritual and unspiritual, and we choose to follow him in all of life? I'm just going to share three thoughts uh, that come to mind as we've been wrestling with this in the last weeks. The first is, we realize that his truth alone is supreme. I don't think we understand how offensive Jesus would have been in our current culture. And if you read the the gospel accounts, you know that he was an equal opportunity offender. He he offended religious and non-religious folks the same. Sometimes religious folks more, to be honest. In John 14, 6, Jesus makes this claim that would be absolutely shut down. Jesus would be canceled for it today if he made it. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. Now, I had a discussion with somebody in our community once, and she was sharing about how her husband had uh, one belief and she had another belief, and she said, you know, God is God. It all gets there in the end. I said, well, <laughs> Jesus would disagree with you on that one. <laughs> And we do this, right? We, we intellectually kind of assent to this idea that all roads lead to the same place. But the truth is Jesus doesn't agree with that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the implications of following Jesus, uh, of being a part of his kingdom, radically transforms us. And the people that responded to his message in the first century, they had to wrestle with this too. In a religious, religiously pluralistic society, like you could pick a god depending on what mood you're in that day. They had to wrestle with this exclusive truth of Jesus. And I can imagine those first Jesus followers going, okay, Jesus is the truth. How does that affect this, and this, and this, and this? And out of that, there was essentially a new culture, a new community that was being formed based on Jesus. You may not know this, but it wasn't Jesus followers themselves that came up with the name Christian. It was the culture around them that said they're acting like Christ. They are Christians. And so to be a Christian means that Jesus is our standard and source for the truth. And I'm afraid in our culture we have farmed out too much of this to other places. We, we rely on our favorite political party to dictate what, how we view justice. We farm out our views of sexuality to the school system or to Hollywood. <laughs> and meanwhile, none of those are fulfilling, folks. None of them are based on truth. None of them are leading to a place of wholeness. Jesus is our sole standard and source for truth. The other thing I think of when I think of this question is, in order for Jesus to rule and reign, we sometimes have to leave some things behind. 
One of the most common experiences when people met Jesus, and you see this recorded in the Bible, is they are willing to leave someone or something or everything else behind. And you see this when Jesus called his followers. He says, hey, come and follow me. They literally stopped what they're doing that moment and went to be with Jesus. And some of you have experienced this before. You've realized, whoa, the way that I was living, it's part of this repentance. I I can't keep living that way and follow Jesus. It's just not going to work. The two are not compatible with each other. And we looked at this early on in the series of the parables that Jesus shared himself, the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. When you finally find the answer your heart is longing for, you are willing to do everything to have it. To know who you are as a son and daughter of God. To know that the image of God in you can be awakened to its full potential when you follow Jesus. That nothing else matters in that moment. But here's the thing. History has also shown those that aren't ready or willing to leave everything behind. And those same people eventually leave Jesus behind. One of the most famous people of this is one of Jesus' own followers, Judas. Judas follows Jesus. He's with him in his inner circle. But there was one thing that Judas couldn't leave behind. Money. Ultimately, his desire for money led to him being willing to betray Jesus himself. It wasn't worth it, he found out in the end. In another place, Jesus interacts with this rich young ruler who says to him, hey, I've, I've kept all the commandments, I've done all these things, I want to follow you, and Jesus knew, no, you really don't yet. There's one thing you're not willing to leave behind. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, then you could be my disciple. And he couldn't do it. Another disciple said, another guy said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, you can follow me, but it's not going to be easy. Don't have the nicest hotels to to stay in. The guy said, oh, okay. I thought we were going to roll a little different than that. Couldn't do it. And so this is a reality. There's those that are ready and willing to leave everything behind, but there's some that aren't, and eventually they're going to leave Jesus behind. We feel this tension This is the challenge of the kingdom. When we see Jesus as the standard and source of our truth, eventually there's going to be a conflict. The things in this life are a gift, but they're not the answer. Are you willing to leave the gifts, even, for the answer? The last thing we think about as we think about this question is, we trust Jesus to be our king. What happens when Jesus rules and reigns? We trust him to be our king. Not our quarterback, not our president, our king. What does a king do? We see in scripture, a king fights for his people. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is a king who fights for us fights on our behalf. We know that he is a king that has a purpose for us, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That God has a purpose for you right now. It's not, you don't have to wait to level up. Right now, in the season you're in, in the place you're in, God has a purpose for you. 
And with that, we know that God has a promise for us. Not only does God say he'll never leave us or abandon us, but he is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And this is the already and not yet tension that we live in. We are kingdom citizens, but there's a full realization of that that we're still waiting for. So as we've been looking at this theme, uh, one of the thoughts that I want to end with as we continue on as a church family is what are we to do now? And the the term that I want us to think about this this morning is that we are actively waiting. We are actively waiting. Right after the Pharisees asked Jesus when the, the kingdom of God would come, Jesus shares a story short parable. And this is where we're going to end our series together. So I'm going to have you do something we probably don't do enough in church, which is silly to say. But go ahead and open your Bibles. (laughs) With our technology today and even with slides, sometimes we just don't even open them together. And I want to do that. So open up to Luke chapter 18. I have a cheat sheet there. If you don't have a Bible, you can look at, uh, grab a pew Bible in front of you and skip right to page 901. We're just going to end with this idea. What does it mean to actively wait as a church family in these days? So right after the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom would come, when is it going to come? What is it going to look like? Where is it going to happen? And Jesus is like, hey, right here. Right after this, Jesus shares a short parable. And this is where we're going to end our series together. I'm going to read this to you. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them, and I love this, that they should always pray and not give up. Actively waiting. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice from my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's an interesting question, huh? When Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? When Jesus opens up this parable, he says, I'm going to share this with you so that you would know to always pray and not give up. This is a active waiting. This is a your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven kind of waiting. This is what we're about as a church here at Sunset Community Church. We are waiting and resting and trusting the promises of God, but we're not just sitting around. We're actively waiting. We are participating in what God would do in our city, in our neighborhoods, 
This is a warring against our sin now, while also knowing that one day we're going to be completely free of it. It's good news. This is a fighting for justice now, while also knowing that one day the God of justice will deal with evil once and for all. This is a striving for unity and worshiping passionately now type of thing, looking forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Actively waiting means that we are aware of the already and the not yet reality of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom currently exists in imperfect people, nod with me, in imperfect circumstances, not with me, but Jesus will one day return and the kingdom of God will be fully in place. So what does it mean when Jesus rules and reigns in my life? It means I can experience freedom, forgiveness, redemption. It means I can have hope means that I can know an unwavering, unshakable love of God towards me. And it's knowing that the answer for our spiritual hunger, Jesus. He's right here. <laughs> He's right in front of us. He's inviting us through the work of his Holy Spirit to say yes to him. We don't have to be like the Pharisees, wondering if our fulfillment's there or there, or when I'm older, or when I have this thing. No, Jesus is the answer. And so what does it mean? It means to know these things. But as a church, this is not just an individual thing. What does it mean for us when Jesus rules and reigns in Sunset Community Church? It means that we challenge each other towards love and good deeds to be participants in the kingdom. That we pray for and we pursue God's kingdom will for our community. Do you know that that is possible? Jesus didn't say, pray it, but it's not really going to happen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we can stand with our parents who desire to raise their children in the faith. And we can say, yes, we want to support you in that. We can love our neighbors and bless our city. And we can lead them to the answer for their spiritual hunger, which is Jesus. I'm afraid that church becomes apathetic too quickly and easily when it's just this Sunday morning. But it is not just this. Look around. It is this. We are the church both when we are gathered and when we're scattered. And so that final question in that passage should make us all pause. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How would you answer that? I, I can only speak for my lifetime, for my generation. But the answer is yes! <laughs> yes, he will. If Jesus were to come back right now, yes, the answer is yes. And I, and I pray it is yes tomorrow. That we are so engaged with the kingdom work of God that more people are welcomed into the kingdom. And that the answer will be a resounding yes. And may the name of Jesus be on our lips may be displayed in our lives and may it be known in our communities not simply by what we say but what we do in our active waiting. Amen.
You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.